0: terrain in this room. Everybody says Amen. 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 My name is Stephen. I'm the pastor at New Song here. And I'm just giving the welcome today. And I want to uh give some opening remarks. Um I want to tell you that you know Pastor Glenn would say that um he, he would he he likes things lighthearted, you know. And um he was always making jokes about his height so that others would feel comfortable right he would do this to make you feel at ease right about himself he'd make the joke and then and so um he had the last joke today because today's 10, o- ten o'clock to about ten forty-five was supposed to be a viewing look and and he didn't want us to look see him the way he was, he wanted us to see him the way he is, and remember him how we remember him. And um, it's ironic that Glenn is five foot four, and um, he missed the elevator by this much. Could the uh, the c- he couldn't fit into the elevator, and I think it was his little joke to us <laughs> today. Um, so it is. It is what it is, isn't it, Sister Norma? We are. Um so honored to be a part of this day with you. All of us are honored. Um, pastor Glenn, would that's what he would be to me. He was a pastor to pastors. And I'm only twelve years old, and how could he be beyond pastor? No, when I was twelve, I'm forty-eight now, but I, I remember when I was twelve and when I was ten and eight and six and five and maybe even even younger than that, that Glenn, because he's a pastor to pastors. He would come to many of our houses on his tour of the district, wouldn't he? Something that you wouldn't, it's unheard of now to think that a, uh, a district supervisor would come to your house but he would come to our house he would want to stay with us he'd want to eat with us it reminds me of a person that was there 2000 years ago his name was Jesus right and he would want to he would want to be a part of our lives uh, we'll, we'll put you up in the holiday and no i want to come to your house i want to stay with you and every time he come this is how he became a part of my family i wasn't even a pastor i was a kid and Everyone has on your wall somewhere, right, a, a place where you measure how tall you are, right? And so we had a place in 1985, I was this tall. In 1999, I was this tall. And Pastor Glenn would always come, and he would say, well, I want to be measured too. I want to get on this wall. And he'd stand there, and he always was the same height and always right there. But he wanted us to, to, to mark it and date it each time. That was that was him. So um, he was—he was a wonderful guitar player, and um, like at a really young age, he was taught um, a song on the guitar called "If," uh, If I Were Only Taller," and he learned this from his music teacher about age twelve, and now and this clip you're going to see he's 84 years old and he was forgetting some of the words so his brother-in-law put the words on a screen for him so he's looking at that but um, you can see it through the eyes of the way he probably would have done it earlier so go ahead and play that
1: I landed on this earth I had no chance to grow they booked me for a lower birth my nurse told me so the things they did to stunt my growth begin when they commenced to bring me up on shortcake. Two or three. This may sound rather funny, but I find I'm I'm out for sport. It's lovely to have money, but it's tough to be so short. I wish to make my bride is six foot two or three when I. stroll along i feel a great delight but when she sits up on my knees why then i'm out of sight if i were only taller it would fill my heart with bliss now i have to take a ladder when i wish to steal a kiss i would gladly take a charmer in my row put a crimp. It's great to be a lobster, but it's tough to be a shrimp. A <laughs> lady once parading as a miss, her husband happened on the scene. As we begin to kiss, how dare you kiss my wife, he said. I'll put a head on you. If it's just the same to you, just kindly make it too. for if I were only taller, just about a head or so, I would thank you very kindly, for I've always wished to grow, so
2: Hello, I'm Kristen Burkamp. I'm one of Glenn's five grandchildren. I was asked to share collective thoughts and memories of the grandkids as a tribute and celebration of his life, to try to memorialize the family man, the person behind the ministry. This became quite the monumental task, for I quickly learned there are not enough words or adjectives to describe such a titan of a man. To encapsulate all that he was, stood for, taught, and meant cannot be summed up, in a few mere paragraphs. Some of the best memories will seem silly to others, but they left the fondest of impressions. Others, life lessons, are less vivid in detail, but helped mold and form the adults that we became. Grandpa was the perfect blend of mighty yet humble, of strength and gentleness. Joy and laughter were at the core of who he was. In every memory that I carry in my heart, he's wearing a smile that was as big as he was. He was kind, he had a heart for people and gave of himself endlessly. Love and Jesus were probably the two most used words in his vocabulary. Family and friends never doubted that Glenn loved you and above all, that Jesus loved you. Trust in Jesus was proclaimed and embraced. As his grandchildren, we had the privilege to see a champion of Christ live out what he preached. He demonstrated what it meant to be an incredible husband, father, grandfather, and follower of Christ. The old adage that you may not remember what someone says, but you'll always remember how they make you feel could never be more true than with our grandpa. Special. That's the word that comes to mind when I think of how he made me feel, how he made everyone feel. As a young child, I had no concept of the burden of responsibilities that fell on his shoulder as the cornerstone of our family, a pastor, a regional district supervisor, and much, much more. All I knew is that once I hit the rite of passage to finally have sleepover at Granny and Grandpa's, I finally was part of the Cool Kids Club. It was during those weekend adventures that he showed us what it meant to make someone feel special. We were his only priority. Whether it was the silly songs that he made up about each one of us, the epic bedtime stories, his light-hearted teasing, or the millions of times that he would tell each of us that he was proud of us, those one-on-ones impacted us for our lives. When we grandchildren were asked about some of our best memories of grandpa, his grandson Corey recalled a few lessons that he had carried with him in life, either via conversations that he had had with grandpa or from by the examples he set. Grandpa taught that it's important to know who you are without taking yourself too seriously. In the same vein, he shared that it's important not to believe everything everybody says about you, whether good or bad. Corey said grandpa also demonstrated that humility is a correct response, especially in tense circumstances. And that a little bit of humor, especially self-deprecating humor, can often dissolve that tension. Grandpa would always tease everybody about their strengths, never about their weaknesses. His height was a common point of conversation, which most of our family can relate to. Grandpa once told Corey that your height or lack thereof can either be a blessing or a curse. It all depends on your response to others' comments. He also recalled witnessing that when in stressful stressful situations, Grandpa would touch his thumb to each of his fingers as he did so, he would witness or whisper, I will not fear, God is with me. Eric, Corey's brother, reminded us of the sillier side of grandpa. Like when he would tease his grandkids about needing to sleep under the RV to be able to protect him and granny from the bears. Or how grandpa would make up stories about the meanings of the different colored aprons that the waitstaffs would wear at restaurants. We all know by heart the song this is my country, since Grandpa would belt it out every time that we crossed the Kansas state line on the various road trips that we would take with him. <laughs> Grandpa was renowned for singing songs and telling stories while we roasted marshmallows around the campfire after he had biked all over the campsites and trails with us. Probably the most vivid memory for Eric was our, tramp, our trip to Missouri camp, Camp Pond de Terre. It was a big deal since it was three weeks away from home. The whole time Eric and I had been playing little tricks on grandpa. For some reason, his pajamas tend to catch the brunt of our jokes, whether tying the legs and armholes together or decorating them in bows. But on the night in question, we decided to hide his pajamas. Eric was already dressed for bed and went to the kitchen for a snack before being tucked in. Turning on the lights, he found himself inches from the biggest spider he'd ever seen. In our childhood memory, the beast was like 8 to 12 inches across. In reality, it was probably like two. Um, But in either case, Eric screamed. Granny and I came running as he bravely left the kitchen. Seeing the situation, Granny and I started frantically calling for Grandpa, who was still studiously searching for his pajamas. From the bedroom, he called out regarding his predicament, (laughs) to which I shot out of the room like flash, exclaiming, I know where they are. (laughs) I don't think that I've ever run so fast or that Grandpa has ever dressed so quickly in his entire life. Emerging triumphantly, he flew to the kitchen to rescue Granny from the invading arachnid. He took on the creature armed with nothing but a broom and his own cunning, Granny's hero once again. Needless to say, Eric and I learned our lesson. Never hide another man's pajamas. This is exactly what Grandpa would want us to remember, the humorous times. Grandpa was always laughing. He teased endlessly. He was full of joy and looked for every opportunity to share that. My younger brother, Tyler, adored grandpa so much that somewhere around the age of four, he told grandpa that he wished he could have two heads, one of his own and one of grandpa's. Then again, Tyler also told grandpa, when I grow up, I wanna be a preacher just like you. Grandpa exclaimed, that's great. You wanna stand up in front of people and teach them about Jesus? And he said, no, I wanna stand on the hill and throw balls. We learned so many valuable things from grandpa about attitude towards life. He was content. At some points in his life, he had nearly nothing. At other times, he would speak repeatedly of how good and faithful God was to him, Jehovah Jireh. In either stage of life, he was generous with all that he had. He was genuine in his faith, his love of people, and his calling to evangelism. It's almost impossible to quantify the impact that my adorable silly grandpa had on this world, but as we look around this room today, this representing a tiny fraction of those he's directly touched, and knowing of all he did over the course of 60 years of service, it's almost overwhelming. Once you think about the kids at camp that got saved and went on to the ministry, or the students from Life Bible College that went on to be missionaries, the pastors that he supported who led congregations of families to the kingdom. The exponential reach that this man who simply was willing to give his whole five foot four and three quarter inch with hair and heels of himself to the mission and the good work is nearly incomprehensible. I can't help but be reminded of the song by Ray Bolts, Thank You for Giving to the Lord. I have no doubt that the scene of people lining up to express their gratitude for how he touched their lives has played out in heaven since his homecoming. Yet some of the things that I'm most grateful for is how he led our family. He demonstrated unwavering love for my granny over 71 years of marriage. She was everything to him. I'm also grateful that he loved unconditionally. Our family was not perfect. We were not without fault. There's things that I'm sure he would have wanted for us differently. But he loved us through it all and reminded us that so did Jesus. He spoke of Christ to anyone that he could. As simple as saying God bless you or Jesus loves you to a cashier or waitress, to every single repairman that ever entered his home left either saved or really scared. (laughs) He was steadfast. He never once wavered from the knowledge that God is real, God is good, that God loves you. He was called to share that news as far, as wide, as often, and for as long as his body would allow him. As grandpa was losing his battle with dementia, the two words that were the last to leave his vocabulary were love and Jesus. To the very end, regardless of the rest of the syllables in between, he still made sure that at every opportunity that he saw us that we knew that he loved us and that Jesus needed to be the center of it all. He was funny, smart, kind, and giving. Gentle, honest, honorable, and selfless. He was creative. He was involved, warm and caring gracious, generous, and steadfast. He was admirable and genuine. Bigger than life, down to earth, a warrior of Christ, and let us not forget, tall, dark, and handsome. This was our grandpa, first love to his daughters, heroes to his grandkids, and a gift to the world.
0: Great. Would you stand with us? Sing two of his favorite songs, probably yours as well. Go ahead and lead us, Nate.
3: i still... one of Pastor Glenn's favorite songs is When We All Get to Heaven. Undoubtedly, he's already there celebrating. We've got a few years to go.
0: verse again. There's not a better time to do it than at a t- time like this. So last verse. Starting with again.
3: onward. All right. Yes. Onward to the prize before us. Soon his beauty will behold. Soon the pearly gates will open
0: I have the honor and privilege of introducing uh, the best preacher today, and that is Glenn himself. He was the chairman of the international convention one year, as in 1986. And um, whether he wanted to or not, they they told him you have to you have to do the first night, and and he took it home that night, and it was a wonderful night. And we could t- couldn't think of anything better. Norma said who who I mean to hear him preach right so we're just going to show you just a bit of it my favorite thing about Glenn's preaching besides that he was spirit anointed and and um, just funny and just a good communicator was that he was sh- he didn't preach very long <laughs> and um, so when you go to convention you hear all these other guys get up there and then y- you know he's coming you are, you were you were happy so um, This is just a short clip from that, would you watch with us?
1: I read something not long ago that surprised me. And that was that you blink 25 times every minute. And if you take a 10 hour trip and travel 40 miles an hour, you will have gone some 20 miles with your eyes shut. my wife accuses me that often <laughs> but I know a fact much more surprising than that listen and I'm winding this down somebody said "Are you gonna preach your 30 minutes or 20 like you always do I said no way I got a shot at the convention I'm gonna preach it. so if I go a little longer all right but I know a fact more interesting than this and that is that some people go through life with their eyes closed oh they look but they do not see They observe the surface, but they admit the underneath. They focus on the image, but not on the issue. Oh, vision is present, but perception is absent. And when I thought of that, the scripture came to me in Mark, where he gives us a great statement worth remembering. The sixth chapter, remember of how there was the great feeding of the 5,000. John the Baptist had been taken. Jesus went through the wilderness across the, the pray. People followed him, got to the other side. He began to teach them because his heart was open to them. Came the end of the day, nothing for them to eat. He said to the disciples, feed them. They said, we can't possibly do it. There isn't any way to do it. Jesus said, what do you have? They, they told him, two loaves and two the fishes. They brought it in a marvelous miracle. They were fed, 12 baskets full were gathered. Jesus, in the evening time, sent disciples out in the lake, went into the mountain to pray, realizing, looking out, saw them roaring. They were uh, working hard, toiling hard. Jesus went walking in the water. They saw him. They were afraid. He said, it is I. He would have passed by, but he said, it is I. They asked him in. And in the 51st and 52nd uh, verse, it says, Then he went into the boat to them, and the wind ceased, And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond any marvel, for they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. Therein rests the tragedy, not the blame. For you see, they had sufficient exposure to the working miracle powers of Christ but they did not put into practice what they had witnessed in early days and had they chose to put into practice the promises given the lessons learned of the past the storm would have been insightful in turn we face the challenges of the 80s in our movement and in our world, many evil forces around us, powers, changes, unknowns, name it, it's out there. However, that's only the image. That's not the issue. That's only the image. The issue is God is still alive. Hallelujah. He is the same today as He was yester. And He will empower us for such A time as this let us never lose that let us never lose that I heard of a rancher that for the first time saw the Grand Canyon and his first statement when they asked him what do you think about that he said oh what a terrible place to lose a cow (laughs) he missed it (laughs) may we never lose The fact that God is our source. So here's my convention dream. Here's what I've been praying for. Here's what I share with you. Here's what I'm believing for this week. I'm believing that all of us will catch a clear view of our past and rejoice in it because we know that God birthed us and brought us into existence. We're not floundering around without a purpose, but God brought us into existence. Secondly, I'm believing that we will stand firm as a family in our present, secure in our diversities. Oh, sure, they'll be there, but secure in our diversities. We hold close to unity, producing harmony. And our future? We allow Christ to empower us because we know that we have come to the kingdom for such a time as this.
4: things
0: that I get
4: to do in my life <laughs> <laughs> is learn how to use a microphone. Well, the things that I've got to do in my life, I've uh, gotten to wear a lot of different hats. And so one of the hats I get to wear today is uh, on behalf of the International Church of the Four Square Gospel, I have a plaque to be given in honor of Dr. Glenn Metzler. I'm gonna read just a little bit of that and it has to be on this side so my eyes can see it. When uh, my wife and I produced these plaques, we would do them in at least 12 or 14 point print and so everybody could read them. Now they're doing them eight point and so if it was big enough for me to read it, it'd be several different plaques that would have to be given to you. But on behalf of the International Church of the Four Square Gospel in honor of Dr. Glenn Metzler, who has given his life as a pastor and leader and most recently as a supervisor of the Midwest District. This says, recognizing his more than 70 years of dedicated service to the International Church of the Four Square Gospel, the Board of Directors gives God praise for the life and ministry of Dr. Glenn D. Metzler. We also declare that in word and deed, this this servant of the Lord represented the core values to which our church continues to be dedicated. We recognize his dedicated service and commitment, particularly in the following areas, and it lists, among other things, a life of integrity, a servant's heart, commitment to the great commission. And so we feel sorrow at the passing of our brother. Yet we rejoice in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection. Our sincere sympathy goes to his wife, Norma, his children, Marcy, her husband, Peter, and Marilyn, her husband, Richard, his grandchildren, Amy, Tyler, Kristen, Corey, and Eric, excuse me, his great-grandchildren, Jeremiah, Josiah, Caleb, Isaiah, and Liam, and Hannah, and, and Renan and their extended family and many friends on this 8th day of February in the year of our Lord, 2023. You know, favorite thing that people say at times like this is that uh, words just only go so far. Um, If I had to identify... One of the greatest fears, or one of the greatest uh, things I would rather not do in my life, it would be to follow his preaching, (laughs) for goodness sakes. So first, I want to say that I'm so uh, humbled and honored that you would choose me to be a part of this today. Linda and I love the Metzler family. Norma, you and Glenn and your family have been a part of a gang of ministers and preachers, some of whom are here today, that we have followed you and Glenn as you have led us for a long, long time. And there goes the mic again, sorry. So you have walked us through some of the worst times and some of the best times of our and most glorious times. Of our lives this side of heaven, Lynn and I had uh, had just come to pastor a church in Saint Charles, Missouri. Whenever Glenn and Norma became the pa- became the supervisors, we had grown known of them for a long time, but little did we know the depth and gratitude of love into which our relationship would grow. Because of our proximity to Camp Pomp-de-Terre, you know, the other side of the district. That's an inside joke. Everybody doesn't understand that. But because of that, Linda and I had the honor of having the Metzlers in our home sometimes, and uh, they would make Linda and I feel so important. Usually, as a part of those plans, Glenn would throw into the conversation uh, Linda, I, I know you're planning on making biscuits and gravy when we're there. He loved biscuits and gravy. So many of you uh, recall sitting around planning tables with them, helping to wrestle through some of the arduous tasks that uh, accompanied supervising almost 200 churches in five different states. We all watched and sometimes helped with the never-ending responsibility of appointing pastors to churches and transitioning them to other places of ministry and uh, juggling money to to pay for those properties, that's also something only a few of us understand. During the 80s, the Midwest District hosted the International Church, of the Four Square Convention, a gospel convention, which uh, you've already seen a piece of. And I wasn't certain that we were going to have that, and so I had that as a part of my notes. But I must say that when we were planning that convention, Gwen and Norma had uh, asked some of us to be a part of that committee. And I remember the day very vividly when we began to talk about the first night of convention, opening night. And the committee and Norma, everybody was insisting that Glenn would be the opening preacher that night. And I can remember vividly his face quivering, not in fear, but of humility that L.A. would approve of such a thing. And so he, with Norma's urging, I'm certain, did preach that night. And, oh, did he preach. You just heard a sample of that. Many people had never heard this prince of a preacher. And we in the Midwest District had heard him many, many times. And pastors would sit around afterwards, and we would wonder with amazement at how he could say so much In such a short period of time, as Stephen said earlier, and we would go away thinking, "I got to try to do that. I got to be like him. I got to. I got to learn those illustrations. I got to learn how to tell a joke. I got to learn how to find a cow in the in the Grand Canyon." And I mean, give me a break. Who who says that? Nobody says that. And so he became a mentor to Glenn and Norma, and uh, I'm out of, and so what an amazing, amazing, amazing thing, uh, experience that we had following them and trying to keep up with their leadership because they always were leading us places that we hadn't been before. And so thank you to Norma and Glenn for what they did. And then I must say a little bit about the two camp facilities. A little bit was said, Kristen, your words were so great. And uh, thank you for remembering the time that we got to spend with you at Pomme de Terre. But I must say something about the two camp facilities that had to be financed and developed. Uh, many of you in this room were a part of that, of developing those facilities and the hard work that it took to develop Camp uh, Wonderview. Uh, my, 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 what a, what a challenge that was, and some of you could come up here and tell stories about that. And then there was the, across five states and almost a 1,000 miles away from the district office was this thing called Camp Palme de Terre. Glenn and Norma asked Linda and I to do some things over there, and I'm off again. Maybe I should hand, hold handheld, Steve. Can you hear me okay? I'm sorry, if I only got to do this every day, then uh, I'd know how to keep a microphone on an ear with glasses and hearing aids. So, uh, so you, you can feel my pain, if you will. And so five states and almost 1,000 miles away from the district office was this place called Camp Palme de Terre. Glenn and Norma asked Linda and some of you in this room to help uh, develop that camp facility and uh, to plan, and so there was a lot of sweat and a lot of planning that went into both camps, and uh, it was an arduous task, to put it mildly. And so it took a lot of sweat, as I said, to develop both Wonderview and Camp Palme de Terre. There were so many times that the Metzlers had to intervene in those camp situations. Uh, I remember one time very vividly, I don't know if you remember this, Norma, but uh, one time after... After, I mean just before camp was beginning, the two camp or four, four camp directors, the Holtbergs and the Hibdens plus Dr. Metzler and Norma and a circle of about 10 pastors were gathered around outside and they had told Glenn and Norma that they were going to be taking their kids home if us camp directors allowed those that Christian rock band, to play in church and to play as a part of the camp. And uh, I mean, do you see the tongue in my cheek? if see what's going on. And, and they just said, we're going to take our kids back home if you allow that band to play. This was the 80s, remember? And with that taking place, uh, Glenn had taken us aside and he had said in advance and privately, he had said, you know, We're going to stand with you, whatever decision you make. Ten against the four of us. But we're going to stand with you because you're in charge. And uh, we had enough sense in our head to say, no, actually, we defer to what you would decide because we know you've got a lot more wisdom and you've got a bigger picture here to deal with. And so they told us what to do, and we accepted that, and we felt like it was the wisest thing we could have ever done. As a result, that whole thing was diffused. By the way, the band played. I don't know how that happened, but we figured out a way. Everybody was happy. All the campers stayed, and probably a lot of those kids got saved after that band played. And they weren't even that good of a band, frankly, (laughs) looking back on it bunch of teenagers with guitars and drums. I mean, after all, that you know that music doesn't belong in church. Give me a break. And so, they allowed their kids to stay, and who knows what God did in their lives. Any of us, I hope this is okay to say, Norma, but any of us who ever had a meal with the Metzlers witnessed Glenn's love for you by every time at the end of our praying for the meal. You very delicately reach for your hand and kiss it. And then some of you know the story, but just in Glenn's last breaths, this side of heaven, uh, she was able to kiss him goodbye. I think what a gracious thing that was for God to allow. So like you, I have read with wonder and amazement so many of the tributes that have been written on Facebook and different places and uh, it's it's just just amazing. And I, I want to quote just a few of those. I can't. I, somebody, uh, Kristen, you already said a lot of this stuff, but these are some things that were written on Facebook. One person put on Hebrews 13:7. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you, and imitate their faith. And that person said this picture is a perfect picture of you guys. Another person said on Valentine's Day the Metzlers would send LPU students from the Midwest $200 apiece. That was one of the things they remembered. Someone else said, if you were to write a book on how to treat people, it should be titled, How the Metzlers Did It. And then in addition to that, I picked a bunch of words that uh, just kind of were spread throughout all of those things. Once again, Kristen, you took some of my thunder here. But I noticed that you said a whole bunch of words that I don't have. That's what kind of a multifaceted person this man was. I wrote fun, joker, compassionate, sincere. I didn't write these. These were on Facebook. Compassionate, sincere, committed, faithful, good husband and father, biggest little giant I've ever known, mentor, witty, friendly, and oh so many other grateful words. So you get the picture. You begin to see this this mosaic that God painted and put together whenever he created this Glenn Metzler. I'm so moved about how many people responded to those posts. Many of them were youth in summer camps that the Metzlers helped to make happen. Thousands of them were born again, and their lives were changed. They went into the ministry at one time. And and this is just one year that I know about. Linda and I were, were firsthand at Life Pacific College whenever this happened. And from the camps in the Midwest, at that one year, there was 42 students from the Midwest. It was an amazing thing. I don't know if everybody else thinks that's amazing. I think that's extraordinary. It tells about leadership going on and, and a vision for the future of God's church. You may or may not remember a song entitled, Where Have All the Flowers Gone? Where have all the flowers gone? Long time passing. It was a long time ago. It was a song written by a man named Pete Seeger. He wrote it in 1955, and as of 2020, it had been recorded at least uh, uh, had been recorded in 35 languages by at least 62 different artists as of 2020, including the likes of Seeger himself, of course, the Kingston Trio, Peter, Paul, and Mary, Bobby Darin, Eddie Arnold. Lester Flatt and Earl Scruggs, of all people, and the Brothers Four and the Four Seasons, and even Bernie Sanders. (laughs) It's true. It's true. So why bring up such a song as this? I believe the theme of this song can be an indication of a universal theme and question, and maybe even a quest for which the world is striving May even be a question that some here today are asking: Where have all the flowers gone? Well, of course, we who are Christ followers, well, we we know, we already know where flowers like Doctor Glenn Metzler, Dick and Don Scott, for instance, Jack and Anna Hayford, for instance, Jack Hamilton, and oh, so many other leaders who have just passed away just, just recently. Harold and Winona Helms, I have to say those names. And then so many others that, that, that we don't know, some of you know, and that I can't even say all of those. And all of the Christ followers, there's a long, long list, including people who are dying even today in Ukraine or, or in Syria in Turkey and all around the world, people who are, who are believers that are going on to their rewards All flowers who have passed the responsibility for the growth of new flowers on to we who remain. Hebrews 12, 1-3 begins with an answer to this universal question of where have all the flowers gone. It says we're surrounded by them. I'm going to take a little liberty because Hebrews 11 tells us who those people are, but I'm pretty certain... That the number of those that are listed in Hebrews 11 also have been added to by those of us, of those who have followed on behind them. And so Hebrews 12, 1 to 3, in the message version says this Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who who blaze the way, all these veterans cheering us on. It means we better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins, it says. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who began and finished this race that we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, the cross, shame, or whatever. And now he is in the place of honor, Hebrews says, right alongside of God. When you find yourselves flagging along in your faith, go over that story again, Hebrews says, item by item. That long litany of hostility that he plowed through, that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. And I think today we need some adrenaline in our souls. Yes, a flower that is a body whom we all loved has left us. But remember, flowers pass and give way to new growth. Their beauty inspires others to greatness and fulfillment. And Glenn Metzler is now numbered with that gang of mentors and examples, flowers that have already made it into heaven. Once again, let me read the the pieces from Hebrews 12. These pioneers, these veterans are cheering us on. Get with it. Start running and never quit. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race that we are in. And now he is there in the place of honor next to God the Father. So let me close by saying this What are we to learn from these pioneers of our faith who have left earth for heaven? I suggest three things we learn faithfulness, we learn commitment, we learn perseverance. Hebrews eleven, as I said, is considered the faithfulness chapter. And if God ever chose to in, to rewrite that chapter, if He chose to do so, I think He'd include the Metzlers. Commitment speaks of doing what you say. Perseverance speaks of working through hard circumstances. Our text says, "Keep moving." Every time Linda and I visited Linda and Norma during this past season. We would always see Glenn doing, and some of you are picturing the same thing. We always pictured him moving. He didn't stop moving. Maybe he couldn't say the things he wanted to say. By the way, I saw him say, I love you. I saw him smile. I saw him perk up when you say, Jesus. So we all saw those kind of things. And as he struggled, he refused to give up. He kept moving. What a trait for us to embrace today. It's a perfect time for us to dig in and purpose in our hearts to not quit. Of course, the key to this and everything we do in this life is to keep our eyes on Jesus. The New King James Version of the Bible adds, Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. New International Version says, Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And so today we look to Jesus. We ought to keep our eyes upon him because he's going to give us grace through this season. He's going to show us what to do, what to think, and how to somehow find our way through all of this. So DeNorma and all the rest of your amazing family, I want you to know that we we all mourn with you. The Bible says mourn with those who are in sorrow. So we all mourn with you. And uh, we don't know what all that means in the days ahead, but we continue to mourn with you. But we also rejoice with you that we know where Glenn is today. That flower who planted tons of seeds in people's lives. That flower that's now flourishing in the presence of Jesus. Amen.
5: Thank you, Jim. Now I have to follow him. (laughs) Uh, I learned from you, and when uh, Stephen asked me if I wanted the one that goes on my face, I said, no way, (laughs) because it doesn't stay. Um, I'm Amy. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Amy Selby, and I am also one of Glenn's five grandkids. And I'm batting cleanup today. So just so you know, when I'm done, we're all going to go eat lunch together. Um, But Grandma asked if I would share, and she said, I want you to um, do some of the uh, eulogy and share some of the obituary facts and uh, maybe preach a little and then probably pray and do an altar call at the end in about 15 to 20 minutes. So I can promise... Everything but that last <laughs> I don't know that this will be 15 to 20 minutes, but as I said, when I finish we eat. So um, I think as you've heard, Grandpa would turn a sermon would turn anything into a sermon. In fact, we used to play a little game when I was in Bible college and I would come back for a holiday or a summer and visit. We would sit down at the table together and he would say, okay, I'm going to give you a joke or an analogy, make a sermon out of it. And he would just pull something out of the paper that he read and say, how would you incorporate that into a sermon? And we would go back and forth. And I think if he were standing here today, hearing all of this about his life, he would turn it into a sermon. (laughs) He would take his life and preach. And so that's what my plan is to do today, is to to talk to us about what are the lessons that we learned. What sermon did his life preach? One of the amazing things about Grandpa was the same man that you saw behind the pulpit at convention or on Sunday mornings was exactly the same man that we got at the breakfast table on Monday morning or when doing errands with him or when on trips with him. It wasn't the gospel and Jesus wasn't something just to proclaim in that 20 minutes that he preached it was his whole life and he did what so many of us aspire to do he preached out of the overflow of what was always going on in his life Um, when I've thought about what passage I think he would choose (laughs) for today my, my mind was drawn to Philippians 4 Now, the Apostle Paul wrote this, and it's his closing exhortation, but I think just as easily Paul could have either been writing this about Grandpa or Grandpa could have written this himself to us as his closing exhortation. Paul wrote in Philippians 4, starting in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if there is anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. And whatever you have learned or received or heard from me and anything that you have seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So I want to talk about the things that we as family, the things that we got to hear from him and see in him. And then I want to exhort us to put those things into practice. Um, First, let me say that Grandpa was a Kansas boy. As Kristen pointed out, he would belt out this is my country every time we were in Kansas. He was very proud of being a Kansas boy. Grandpa was born on July 23, 1928. He was the third born of seven children to Glenn Franklin Metzler and Olive Hope Metzler. Glenn D., he always said that D. stood for darling. According to his birth certificate, it stands for Donald. He was third born uh, and he loved telling stories about growing up on the farm. He had two godly parents. He gave his life to the Lord as a young boy after hearing a conversation between his mom and his aunt where, and I forget which of the two of them was saying this, but one of them had received the Lord and was telling the other what an amazing experience it was to give your life to Jesus. And she said, I just went into my prayer closet and I got down on my knees, and I prayed the prayer the pastor said, and I felt Jesus come into my life, and my grandpa, as a young boy, decided he wanted that. He didn't know what a prayer closet was, so he just went and got in a closet (laughs) and asked Jesus to fill his life, and he said, I will never forget that. I felt him take up residence in me. I felt my life change. Last night, I was reading through some of the things that he wrote about his life story, and a question he was following a like a write-your-own-story guide, and one of the questions that was asked in there, is there anything that you regret about your teenage years? And what he had written in there is, the only thing I can think to regret was that I didn't give my life wholeheartedly to the Lord sooner. But man, when he did, (laughs) he ran with a passion for Jesus for the entire, until his body would no longer let him communicate that. And even then, as Kristen said, a month ago when I saw him at Christmas, Every once in a while, when words would come out, it was still Jesus. And every once in a while, there was a praise God. A couple years ago, when there was not a whole lot of English happening, uh, that he was able to communicate, one day he was sitting at the the kitchen table, and he began just praying in tongues. And that sounds different than other sounds. And so I asked him, Grandpa, are you praying in tongues? And suddenly, in in clear, he said, is that all right? And I said, well, of course, it's all right. And he said, carry on. And then he just went right back, <laughs> went right back into it. So um, he he loved he loved growing up on the farm. The family moved away from the farm in the 1940s after his dad lost the family farm in the Great Depression. They moved to California, where he attended high school in Whittier. Uh, later he went to Life Bible College. He graduated from there in 1950. He married Norma in 1951. He was licensed in 1950 and then ordained in 1951. Corey and I followed him about 50 years later um, and graduated from the same institution that he did. We were both licensed and ordained in the same place that he was, and now I have the privilege of teaching there, which is an incredible thing. But his life story was punctuated by one theme, and that was follow Jesus. He used to look into my eyes all the time. He would do it to all of us. He would look into our eyes, put, a, put his hands on our shoulders, look into our eyes and say, follow Jesus, follow Jesus, follow Jesus. That was all that mattered. And now he has followed Jesus through those pearly gates, beyond the bounds of this life. But he's still following Jesus. And Tracy reminded me the other day, she he loved to play the harmonica and yodel. And uh, Tracy said she's convinced he's up there playing the harmonica for the angels and yodeling with Jesus. And I think that's probably about right. He was preceded to heaven by both his parents uh, and by three brothers, George, Frank, and Roger. And... And Johnny, George, Frank, yes, thank you. <laughs> George, Frank, and Johnny, and by his sister, Mildred. He's survived by two siblings still, Roger and his, uh, his wife, Elise, and then his beloved little sister, who he always called his little ditter, Shirley, and her husband, Dick, and niece, Tracy, and Shelley. Uh, and then his two daughters, Marcy and her husband, Pete, and Marilyn, her husband, Richard, He's got five of us grandkids, myself, my sister Kristen, her husband, Kevin, my brother Tyler, and then my cousins, Corey, and his wife Erin, and Eric, and his wife Katie, and then he's got seven great grandkids. (laughs) Uh, Kristen's kids are Jeremiah, Josiah, Caleb, and Isaiah, good good uh, Old Testament theme there, and Eric's kids are Liam, Hannah, and Raynan, um, And then so many of you that he loved so dearly and considered parts of his extended family. So, what can we learn from his life? From everything that we've seen, everything we've heard, all of the humor, all of the depth, he, he managed to do both at the same time. I want to talk about four kinds of lessons that I learned from him that I think that we learned from him by watching his life. He taught us life lessons. He taught us love lessons. He taught us Jesus lessons. And then he taught us some hard lessons. Life lessons. I think the first thing if he were standing here that he would tell you about how to embrace life is pursue the sweet things. Grandpa loved sweet things. He loved pie and ice cream and especially pie and ice cream. He loved cookies and donuts and anything sweet, even in the, in the final days when you would say, do you want a cookie, his eyes would light up. <laughs> he loved sweet things. When he was a pastor, he knew, uh, this was back in the days when pastors made house calls, he knew which days the women in the church would bake on, and he would do his house calls on those <laughs> days. He loved ice cream, especially. All of us grandkids grew up having to give him the ice cream tax. Anytime he would buy us an ice cream cone, he got the curl on the top. And then he would teach us a lesson about tithing. <laughs> we had to give him the 10th. Uh, he loved ice cream. He would do hospital visits and then go to Michelle's, which was an ice cream parlor after the hospital visit. Uh, do you guys remember Josh and John's? Used to. I don't know if it's still there. It was downtown. That was one of his favorite places. One time he went down there, and I think the doctor had told him he needed to cut back on some things, but he told the Lord, if you will provide me a parking spot, I will know that it's okay for me to eat ice cream. (laughs) Then he said it only took him about four or five laps around the block (laughs) before God answered that prayer. Pursue the sweet things. He also pursued the sweet things in people. He would find the one thing that was praiseworthy about someone. He used to tell me that, that the secret to getting along with difficult people is find the one thing that's sweet and focus on that. Pursue the sweet things. Next, I think he would say pursue humor. He was a funny man. (laughs) We all know that. I don't have to tell any of you that knew him that. You couldn't spend time with him without laughing. Uh, And he said that he learned this from his father, who would say to him, humor, a sense of humor is like the bumper on a car. It's not strictly necessary to have one for the car to drive, but it sure will keep you from a lot of injury. So he would always say, a secret to happiness in life is pursue humor, develop a sense of humor. Don't take yourself too seriously, find the funny things, focus on those. And then he would say, tell your stories. Grandpa was a man of stories. Everything I've learned about the art of storytelling I learned from him. He told masterful stories about silly things from his life and about the deep things, and he would weave them together in a way that left an incredible impression on all of us, especially as grandkids. Kristen mentioned that we would get to go to camps with them. He would take all five of us, he and grandma, would take all five of us to camp at Camp Wonderview every summer for three weeks. And then every summer also, he would take two to three of us to Missouri camp. And we would take turns getting to go to Missouri camp with them. My favorite part of those experiences was the car ride because... As soon as we were out on the highway from the hi- I-24 right out here all the way to Missouri, he would tell us stories about his life, about ministry, about their marriage, about things that he remembered from grandma's life and her family. He just captivated us with stories. And it's interesting to me how many times those stories in my life had, have become the guide points, the compass points to my life. They built foundation in me. When I experience things that I don't know what to do, it's so frequently one of grandpa's stories that will come to mind. You all have stories. Tell your stories, especially to the younger generation. You will build in them guideposts for how to navigate the world, even with silly stories, but interlace those stories with Jesus. Tell your stories. And then the other life lesson that I learned from him is he would frequently say, you're never wrong to do right. You're never wrong to do right. When I would come to him with any kind of particularly difficult problem, he would say, what do you think is the right thing to do? Not the easiest or the most expedient, what's the right thing? It's often the hardest, but you're never wrong to do right. Those are some life lessons that I think he would impart to us today. And then there's some love lessons watching him was just watching a love personified. (laughs) He was such a loving man. That was never more obvious than when he was with Norma. They walked hand in hand every day that he could walk. (laughs) I used to love to follow behind them when they were in their 80s, still holding hands and watch people watch them. He loved her singularly and with passion. Um, and it was a beautiful thing to get to behold in a world that is so broken, to see this couple love each other, um, dedicatedly and with so much passion and sweetness to the end. But he didn't just lavish love on her, he would frequently say that everyone needs love. Everyone. And that's the one thing that we can always give because Christ pours his love into our hearts daily, and so we're never lacking. We always have love to give. We might not always have money. We might not have alwe- always have good advice, but we always have love. So every person that he saw was an opportunity for him to pour out love. There's so many stories of times that he would be driving and see someone on the side of the road that was crying, and he would circle around the block, pull his car up, stop and get out of the car and say, I'm a pastor. Can I help you? What, what is wrong? What do you need? How can I pray for you? Uh, I was shopping with him one time and we were getting ready to go camping and we gathered our camping supplies and got in a line and we got into the longest line. And I told him, Grandpa, there's a shorter line over there. And he said, Yes, but look at her face, the, the, the checker, look at her face. She's sad. So we're going to go through this line because. We can show her love. We can be kind to her. And I said, Grandpa, we don't have time. Grandma wants us back at the house. we got a place to go. And he said, there is always time for kindness. Lessons on love. He would frequently say when he had difficult conversations with people, if he had to choose between proving himself right and proving himself kind, with the help of the Lord, he would always choose to prove himself kind. I've carried that with me <laughs> in difficult conversations. And then he would say, always be humble. Nothing is gained through pride. Always be humble. He would, he would uh, uh, tell Corey and I that frequently. As, as, as you're going into the ministry, you're going to see people that want to advance their ministry and make themselves look big and jockey for position. You don't need to do that. Obedience always trumps ambition. Just be humble. And follow Jesus, and he will open the doors that he has for you. You don't need to run anybody else's race. And then he would also frequently say, Never be afraid to be a servant and be treated as a servant. That's what we're called to do. That is what love is. Love is service. And he would say, You know, sometimes I hear people say, I want to be used by God. God, use me. I want to serve you. I want to serve your kingdom. God, use me. And then they get into ministry. And they start to get a little hurt because they feel like they're being used. But that's what ministry is. That's what service is. So in the pursuit of serving God, don't ever forget that serving God is actually serving people. And then occasionally that means that we might get treated like a servant. And that's okay because that's love. The third category of lessons that he taught were Jesus lessons. (laughs) And I think these were his favorite things to talk about. He would always say Jesus is the first and the best thing. And a life spent in pursuit of Jesus is a rich life. Pursuing anything else will leave you hollow, but pursuing Jesus is the one thing that will make you richer and make you more full. He would frequently tell us, listen and follow. That's all it is. You want to know how to pursue Jesus? Listen and follow his voice. He would do that daily. He'd get up at 5 a.m. and walk and listen to the Lord. That was his conversation time. He would listen, pray, listen, come back, and then check in with Grandma, who was also up doing her devotions, praying and listening, and then they would compare notes and make sure they were hearing the same thing, especially if it had to do with big life decisions. One of his frequent questions to me was, what are you hearing the Lord saying recently? And then the follow-up question was, are you following that? Are you doing what he's telling you to do? Listen and follow. And then he would always say, the highest end, the highest goal of any day and of any life is to know Christ and to make him known. If we're doing that, then everything else is in order. Know Christ and then Make him known. And everybody was fair game for that. <laughs> As Kristen said, we could not go into a restaurant with him without him telling the, wa- the waitress about Jesus. First, he would, he'd always start with a joke, and often it was this. I just came back from Hawaii, and I only have Hawaiian money. Will you take that? Or something else about her life, and especially he'd ask her, her or him, how their day was going, how their family was. By the end of, like, most meals, we'd have the waitress sitting at the table with us, <laughs> sharing stories, telling stories, and, and often by the end, he'd lead them to the Lord. I can't tell you how many times we went to a gas station. And I, grandkids with me, you might remember this, like we'd roll our eyes because we'd be at a gas station getting gas to go someplace exciting, and it would take us 20 minutes because he'd be leading the person at the pump next to him to Jesus. Know Christ, make him known. He never missed an opportunity, and that is such an important reminder for us in a life, in a world that's so busy, in a world where we forget to look at people. I forget to look at people. Grandpa never did. Every person was a person deserving of kindness, deserving of love, and who needed to either know Jesus or be reminded that Jesus loved them. I want to follow his example in that. And the last thing I want to talk about, and I am winding down here. We're at 15 minutes. We might get toward 20. We'll see. <laughs> he, he taught us some, some lessons about hard times, some hard lessons. And these are particularly precious to me. Uh, Grandpa's life was not always easy, but particularly in the end, he knew what was coming his way. He had watched his mother and an older brother Walk through dementia, and he know, he knew what it was going to look like. He knew that it was going to be a hard season. And there, particularly in the early years of his 10 to 12 year journey with dementia, he would sit us down frequently, and he would cry. He would apologize for what he knew we were going to experience, and he would tell us, I, d- I, didn't, I didn't want this. I didn't want it for me. I didn't want it for the family. But I want to make sure that I say all the things now I'm probably not going to be able to say later. And he would grieve. He'd grieve with us. He'd grieve for us. He would grieve humbly and sweetly in front of us. And at the same time, tenaciously hold firm to Jesus. There was grief, but there was no bitterness. And I asked him about that one time. Because for me, if I'm being honest, watching my grandpa struggle with dementia was one of the biggest faith struggles in my life. Because I just felt like, of all the people on the planet, grandpa should get a pass. (laughs) And so I I voiced that one time uh, about 12 years ago asked, doesn't it ever make you mad? Do you ever feel like it's not fair? Do you ever get mad at God? And he just said, oh, Amy. Jesus never promised that we wouldn't walk through hard times. He just promised that we wouldn't walk through them alone. Scripture says that we will walk through dark valleys, the valley of, valley of the shadow of death even, but it says that he will always go with us. So how could I be bitter at someone that's going to walk through this with me? And then he reminded me of a story from his youth that he used to tell frequently about how he and his brothers, when they lived in Kansas, there was apparently a dry well on their property. And for fun, they would climb down into the bottom of it because that's what Kansas boys do. I'm sure that seemed very safe. (laughs) Probably not so much to their mama. But they would climb down and they realized when they climbed down to the very bottom of the well, even if it was noon, broad daylight, if they climbed all the way down to the bottom and looked back up, they could see the stars. So he reminded me of that story and then as he so often did, he said, what's the sermon in that? What do you learn in that? How does that apply to this situation? Because here's the sermon in that. The stars are always there. We know that scientifically, the stars are always above us. But when the when the day is bright and the sun is out and we're happy and cheerful, we don't see them. You don't see the stars until it's dark. And then their presence is apparent. And there's things that we know about God his faithfulness, his goodness, his kindness, his generosity. We know that that's true when life is good, when everything is as it should be, when when it is well with our soul and there's peace, and we know that those things are true, but we don't see them in bright clarity, singular clarity, until things are dark. It's when we're in the bottom of the well that we're able to look back up and see what has always been true, but what is now made more visible through that situation. So he said, So I expressed that. I think this is the point. (laughs) And he said yes. So here's the challenge to you. As we walk through these dark times, look for the stars. Look for the stars of God's presence, his faithfulness, his promises, his goodness, his kindness, his generosity to us as a family. Look for the stars. And so we did. And I want to tell you that one of the biggest stars that shone the brightest through watching him walk through those ten years uh, and slowly decline. One of the huge silver linings of that. And grandma, this might make you mad, but grandpa said it's ne- you're never wrong to do right. So I'm gonna say the things that I think that he would say one of the biggest lessons that I learned, one of the brightest stars, was not anything that he was teaching anymore. It was watching grandma. They changed places. I think before dementia, grandpa was the biggest person in any room, the biggest, smallest person in (laughs) in any room. He was such a bright light. And as his light began to dim and fade, grandma stepped up. She stepped out of, she was always there. You cannot tell grandpa's story without grandma. She was the one labeling his ties so that he knew which tie to wear with which shirt when he was traveling without her. She was the one pressing his undershirts to make sure that everything fit right. She was the one planning all of the logistics. He was the big picture person. He was the grand vision person. She was the one that made sure the vision didn't go off the rails. Um, she was the force behind what we all saw but he was such a big presence that until his light started to diminish, I never got to see hers in the same way. Let me tell you what I've seen over the last 10 years. I've seen a woman sacrificially and faithfully love every day. I've seen a woman who would get asked the same question 30 times in a 15-minute period and answer the question with the same tone of voice every single time. That is love. I saw a woman who refused any notion that he would ever be in a home other than hers and that she, she was adamant that she, and knew that the Lord had promised her that she would outlive him and have the strength to take care of him and she was going to do so every day of her life while he was on earth. Your faithfulness has been one of the brightest stars in this time. I ask her how she did that. (laughs) I love my grandpa with every fiber of my being, but when he asked me the same question 30 times in 15 minutes, by the end my tone was starting to slip just a little. Hers never did. And I ask her, how do you do that? And she said, well, I just know that he didn't choose this. He didn't want it for himself. So I treat him the way that I know that he would want to be treated, but also I remember that he took such good care of me for the first 60 years of our marriage. And now, for with whatever time is left, it's my turn to get to take good care of him. And so she just did, day after day after day after day. I asked her again one time, do you ever feel sorry for yourself? Because I do. <laughs> I just ever get to you? Do you ever? How do you do that? And she said, sometimes in the early mornings. I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell on you, Grandma. But she said, sometimes in the early mornings, I feel a little sorry for myself about what I know the day is gonna hold, and about being lonely, and about all of the things that I thought we were gonna get to share in these golden years that we're not sharing. And so I just set a timer, and for five minutes I let myself feel all the feelings and think all of the thoughts and have a a tiny little pity party. And then when the five minutes is over, I say, okay, self, that's enough for today. And I put a new song in my heart and I remind myself how good and gracious Jesus is and that he's in this day with me and I get up and I get about it. And I can't tell you how many times, Grandma, since you have told me that, which this was several years ago, that when I have felt a little sorry for myself, when I've been in a situation that's hard and protracted and I'll do the same thing, I'll be like, all right, self, you got five minutes. (laughs) and I'll feel it out, and then I'll put a new song in my heart, and I'll remind myself about the reality of who Jesus is. And that's been a guiding point for me. Um, I think that Grandpa would want us to honor her. If he were here, I think that's what he would ask us to do. Caretaking is hard. This is a woman who spent the last 10 years of her life taking care of the man that she loved. Can we honor her for that today? want to acknowledge that she didn't do it alone. In the last year in particular, uh, we had the privilege of having three amazing CNAs come and join for an hour. They took turns an hour in the morning and an hour at night that helped in that final year. And I want to, we as a family, we want to thank and honor you too. So Patrick and Margaret and Cindy, if you're here, I don't know where you are, if you're here, would you stand up? Thank you. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you. And if grandpa could, if he would have written every one of you a silly song, he would have made rhymes and poems out of your name, uh, but it was so good for me as a super protective grandchild (laughs) to come back and visit and watch how you guys took care of him and how you helped my grandma take care of him, so thank you. The last thing that I wanna read to you is something that I found last night. I had never seen this before. I was going through some of his writings, and I found this last night. uh, And I don't know that I'll get through it (laughs) very gracefully, but we're going to try, because I think, this is grandpa's writing, and I think he would share this today, and I think it leaves with us a final exhortation. So I'm going to read this to you, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to eat, just so you know where we're at. We're almost landing. We're almost there. When we pray, I'm going to give some of you an opportunity. If you've never accepted Jesus for the first time, Grandpa would not want this time to go by without there being an opportunity for people to know Christ. So I'm not going to embarrass anyone. Don't worry. I'm not going to do a full-on altar call. Like, it's going to be okay. But I'm going to give an opportunity for anyone that wants to respond to Jesus. The second thing I want to do is give, any, give an opportunity. If there's been something in your life that this has sparked from his life, that you're like, I want to dedicate myself to that. I want to put into action, as as Philippians said. The thing that I have seen in his life, I want to dedicate myself to putting it into action. That's the second point. But let me read this to you. I'm not sure when this was written, it's not dated. It looks to be something that he wrote when he was a supervisor, when he was traveling a lot. And just for reference, for those of you that don't know, they retired in 1996. So, probably in the 80s or 90s, this was written. He wrote, I found myself in an airplane at about 30,000 feet at ground speed of approximately 550 to 600 miles an hour. I was tired, for I'd been meeting with people, church councils, preachers, pastors, membership meetings, etc. but there was such a sense of great joy because I was flying home. I'll be so glad to get home to all of the familiar surroundings. I can sleep better, in my own bed instead of a hotel. I'm going home to a great home-cooked meal and a homemade pie and coffee. But most and best of all, I get to be with my darling wife, Norma. I know she'll be waiting for me at the airport with that beautiful smile. Oh, how I love that girl. I'm coming home. Every time I leave without her, To go to some special meetings or services, she always places a special card in my suitcase that I find when I'm getting ready for bed. It's a love note that tells me how much she misses me. Oh, I'll be so glad to get home. But all of a sudden, I was made aware that someday, if Jesus tarries, one of us will come home alone. Oh, how I hate the thought of it. I don't even want to think of it, but it is true. Unless Jesus takes us to heaven together, but that's a very remote possibility. The very real truth is that one of us will be left at home alone. And that will be so hard. We will need God's divine help and presence to deal with the loneliness or the regrets Of things that we talked about doing and didn't do, talked about doing and didn't find time to do them, or things we wanted to say but didn't say, or things we wanted to buy but didn't. So I've decided, here and now, with God's help, at 30,000 feet in the air, to pledge daily to love and care for her, and to do everything that I could do so that there will be no regrets. Regrets would cause a pounding in my heart that would make the loss even greater than I could bear. But what's more than that? Living a life intentionally without to ensure no regrets would make our lives together so much richer and more wonderful. Oh Jesus, thank you for my wife. I'm so anxious to get home. He is home. He beat us. (laughs) He went home a couple weeks ago. And I know he's rejoicing. And so we're not grieving for him. Scripture says that we don't grieve as the world grieves. Because our grief is full of hope because we know where Grandpa is. We know that he's yodeling with Jesus and entertaining the angels and telling him jokes, and I'm sure he's teasing Gabriel about something, uh, and that he's rejoicing with his family members that have gone on before and all of his friends and dear pastors, so we're not grieving for him. We grieve for us. And in particular, we grieve for Grandma. And here's what I think his final charge to you, to us, would be. One, in your own lives, dedicate yourself this day to living a life with no regrets. Say the things that need to be said. Love the people that need to be loved. Do the things you know the Lord is asking you to do. It'll make your life rich and wonderful. And then I think his final request would be, take care of Norma. Next week and two weeks from now, And two months from now, when life for us has gone back to normal, call her. Or visit, or take her to lunch. He was her Hana. That's what he always called her. And now it's up to us. We are his family. We are his body. to, To do what he is no longer here in person to do. So live your life without regrets. And then... Help him take care of our precious grandma. Will you do that? Thank you. <laughs> that brings my heart joy since I'm two thousand miles away. But okay. Ooh, are we okay? Okay. <laughs> okay. So here's here's what we're gonna do now. I wanna I wanna pray. The first thing that I want to give opportunity for is if there's anyone in the room that has never made Jesus your king, you've never tasted the sweetness of having Jesus as your Lord and your Savior and your King. Grandpa would echo the scripture and say, taste and see that the Lord is good. Pursue the sweetness of Jesus Christ. So if you would all just bow your heads, close your eyes. Again, I'm not going to call anyone out. There won't be anything embarrassing that happens now. But if you have never turned your life over to Jesus and you're thinking today I think I want to do that I think I want to follow Jesus the way that Glenn did would you just look up and make eye contact with me because I want to pray with you okay I see you Okay, so all together, just so that no one feels singled out or awkward, those of us, whether you've accepted him 70 years ago or this is the first day, would you just pray out loud with me? Jesus, I want to make you my king. I acknowledge that I've tried to live without you. And I acknowledge that it's not going so well. Would you forgive me for trying to do life alone? Would you come and be my king, the lover of my soul? Would you fill me with your life, your hope, your peace, your comfort today? Would you teach me to live a life with purpose for your kingdom and your glory? Amen. And for the rest of you, if there is something that stood out in anything, whether what Kristen said or what Grandpa said in his sermon or what Jim said or what I said, if there's something that stood out to you today that you say, I want to I be more intentional about that. I want to dedicate myself to that. Would you just take 15 seconds and turn to a human next to you and say that thing out loud to each other right now? Ready, go. Okay, I want to pray. I'm going to pray over us now that the Lord would empower that thing, that thing that we're going to dedicate ourselves to. As Philippians says, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the peace of God will be with you. As we dedicate ourselves anew, either to the Lord in a new way or to follow the Lord in a new way, that he would empower that and fill us with his peace. So let me just pray over us. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for Glenn Darling Metzler. Thank you for the life that he led, the example that he set. Thank you for the humor, the wisdom, the wit, the power, the humility, the impact, the influence. Lord, thank you for the lessons of his life. And God, we thank you that we can stand with assurance knowing that he is rejoicing in you. And we rejoice with you. We rejoice with you. We rejoice with the angels that he is home now, that he is fully reunited with his memories, with his full mind, with his beautiful sense of humor in your arms. And Jesus, as we have been stirred today to learn from his life and to put something in practice, whatever that was that has come to our heart or whatever it is that you will bring to mind in the next uh, hours or days, Lord, would you empower us to live that out? Would you anoint us with your Holy Spirit and empower us to live life full out for your kingdom. Lord, would you help us to know you deeply and to make you known. Imprint your love on our hearts the way that you did with grandpas. Lord, we pray that we would have an impact on the people around us like he did. That you would truly teach us to live life like the Metzlers did it. Father, we thank you that you're with us we ask also that you would bless the food that we're about to eat to our bodies and bless our fellowship together. We pray this in Jesus name. One final closing thought and then I'm going to ask the ushers to come up and and release us row by row to go eat together. I used to pray frequently, God, if you will give me, if you would give me just half. Half of what you've instilled in my grandpa, half of the wisdom, half of the humor, half of the anointing, half, just give me half. I'll be able to serve you and rock this world for your kingdom every day of my life i still pray that now i find myself increasingly praying though lord if you would give me half of what you've instilled in my grandma half of the patience of the grit of the determination of the grace of the love of the consistency the faithfulness that you've instilled in her i know that i will be able to to serve you wholeheartedly and rock this world for your kingdom every day of my life. And may it be so for all of us. I pray that he would fill us. I pray for a double portion. But if we could have just half <laughs> of what he gave to my grandparents and what they, they cultivated in him and in them, we'll do all right. So the family wants to invite you to join us for lunch now. Please stop by. I would love it if you would stop by and tell us your favorite memories of Grandpa. Um, come and hug us. Come hug grandma. And then for any that want to, we'll have a graveside service um, after lunch. It's open to anyone. You can get information from any one of us in the family as well. It's in the program too. So ushers, would you come up and let us go eat?
1: A little Kansas boy on a farm. Wonderful parents, practical people, but not highly educated, but love their family. Found the Lord at an early age, and just sit back and see the good things that God does for you. Wouldn't change it for anything in the world. How great it is to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ.